Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. We are joined by a -a one-of-a-kind, multi-talented creator on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. John Primerano is a Philadelphia-based singer, pianist, songwriter, recording artist, author, actor, and entertainer. Along with his performances of the entire book of the Golden Age of Music, he has recorded an acclaimed album entitled Somewhere South of Heaven. It features his interpretations of the American Songbook, but also his own original compositions. Primerano is also an actor, having worked in such films as Philadelphia, Mannequin, and recently he was directed by the legendary Sylvester Stallone in Creed II. It's a great pleasure to have John Primerano all the way from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, here in the ATL. Thanks for coming to our studio, John Primerano. It's a great pleasure. It's my pleasure, Paul. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. It's uh, it's wonderful being down here in Atlanta with you. It's an honor. And I should tell everyone listening, we're here at the studio, Henry Jordan Studio. But before that... We had lunch at the Hoboken Cafe. Oh, yeah. That was everything you said it was. <laughs> I'm telling you, that was great, great food. I I felt like I was back in, in Philly and Jersey, and it was just wonderful. And John Pizza is a great guy. <laughs> and you don't regret that. Uh, that last that cannoli. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. Why are you a musician? I could answer that facetiously and say it's because it's the only thing I could do. But that would only be maybe moderately facetiously or facetious. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that from the, the, the time I could remember, I have always been drawn towards music. When I was a kid growing up in our house, Saturday afternoons, records were always played. The radio was always on in the house. I knew all the songs, the the lyrics to every song that was on the radio. And um, I was always drawn to the music. And when I was growing up, Bandstand was in Philadelphia. It wasn't American Bandstand yet. And I would watch that to see the performers. So I was also drawn towards entertaining as much as the music itself. It's just the only thing I could say, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's in my blood. How would you describe your style of music, the music that you make? Well, I think I come out of the school of the crooners. I think that's where I'm based as a vocalist, although I touch on a lot of different styles and try to do them authentically. But um, I would I would say that it's uh, in a traditional pop style, and uh, my piano playing is pop with improvisational jazz influences. Would you say that you could name an artist that is the most important to you that maybe 
is the biggest influence on your life and on your work? There are a couple of, of people, but I can tell you that um, I started singing very young, and my voice changed, and I play, began, began playing piano very young. So I was uh, getting into talent shows and everything of that nature as a young boy doing piano arrangements. And then I read an article in Life magazine called Me and My Music by Frank Sinatra. And that was a defining moment for me. I began to add singing back to my act. I began to work on my singing as he described, he worked on his. So Frank Sinatra definitely was a great influence on me. Also, as an all-around entertainer, Bobby Darren. And one thing that I always admired and wanted to do was be like Danny Thomas. If you ever saw the end of Make Room for Daddy when he was uh, performing in a nightclub, I thought that was just great. Even though as a kid I knew there was extras sitting at the tables, I just thought it was great to be in front of an audience and have them in the palm of your hand, <laughs> make them laugh, sing a song. So there's three people there that had a great influence on me. What would you say Frank Sinatra means to you? Well, I think the, I think it's been said almost to uh, cliche about the. Uh, his phrasing and uh, breath control and things like that. But to me, I think that he is probably the, the finest interpreter of the American popular song to come down the pike. And that's not to say that there aren't other great singers who have great technique or have a great understanding of lyrics. But somehow or other, Frank Sinatra had an X quality about him that permeated not only your ears, but your soul. Mm -hmm. What would you say has always been the purpose of the art you create? I think um, satisfaction, in one word. I can't think of anything more satisfying than to perform for an audience and have a song audience our performance go over well, get a great reaction from them. And I have to say that this may sound selfish, but that is, is very self-satisfying to me. And that is, uh, that's probably the answer to your question in one word, satisfaction. We ate at the Hoboken Cafe, the traditional Italian New Jersey cuisine, <laughs> And I remember asking you on the phone one time, I said, do you like Italian food? And you said, you said something like, Paul, my last name is Primerano. <laughs> <laughs> what does being an Italian-American mean to you? Well, it gives me the opportunity to call tomato sauce gravy. <laughs> <laughs> no self-respecting Italian from where I come from would ever call it sauce. <laughs> no, in, in, in truth and in, uh, in seriousness, being an Italian-American um, makes me realize that I'm part of some of the greatest creators the world has ever known by ancestry. You know, any, anyone from Michelangelo to Henry Mancini, 
Hmm. And I think that's, uh, that's what it means to me. What would you say is the best compliment you've ever gotten? The one that I like the most because I, uh, I put a lot of effort into my singing and also my, my playing. But uh, I worked harder at, at my singing, I think. And I always I wanted to get that uh, experience of being a, like in a crowd of a lot of people to be able to touch somebody. And it finally happened, and I think the, the best thing that was ever said to me was that someone came up and said, I, thought, I felt you were singing that song just to me. Hmm. And I said, thank you, then I did my job. <laughs> nice. As I mentioned at the beginning, the introduction, you have this album, Somewhere South of Heaven, and you have interpretations of a lot of songs that people would know, and then you also have your own, your original compositions. Right. Is there a certain process that you go through when you're writing songs? They generally start with a title. And um, I then noodle around on the piano to try to find a melody. And at this stage of my writing, I find that once I have the title, lyrics come when I find the melody. They almost come simultaneously to me. Like a song I wrote called Maybe Someday. I got the title, sat down, and uh, played around on the piano, and I got the first phrase, and it was maybe someday. And as I continued, was you'll need me. I I actually heard the words as I as I dug the melody out of the keyboard, and it took me forty minutes. That song wrote itself. It took me forty minutes to write the song. And I know you you mentioned that you would possibly be willing to play some music for us. Absolutely. All right. What do you think about playing Maybe Someday? I think it's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Wonderful. Here on the Paul Leslie Hour, we have John Primerano in the studio, and he's going to be performing his song, Maybe Someday. Someday you'll need me Maybe someday you'll care Maybe someday you'll want me to be there There might come a time you'll miss me When you think that your time's running out Maybe that's when you'll see what I'm all about And maybe some night alone in your bed I'll creep into your mind And maybe my voice will sound in your head Giving life to memories you thought you left behind Maybe someday find me when you found what you're not looking for maybe that's when you'll knock upon my door and maybe my heart won't live here 
That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe someday. Thank you. John, thank you so much. My pleasure, Paul. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. As we mentioned at the beginning of the interview, you have some acting credits. Yes. I'm hoping you can tell us about working with Stallone a couple of times. What was your takeaway from that? Well, first of all, I would say he's a very nice guy. Uh, secondly, if you don't mind, I'd just like to uh, make a correction in, in what we, or what you had mentioned earlier. True thing. I did work in two films of his. Creed Two. I played a member of the Russian press, and we did the fight scene. And uh, he was very, very friendly with people, but there was a lot of security on that set. And he wasn't directing. He was in the corner, and that's pretty much where the action took place. And really, no one could get to him or the other principals. But I worked in Rocky Balboa in a scene in what was Rocky's restaurant, Adrian's. And uh, in that, he did direct me in my position where I was sitting. He was uh, telling a story about the... Uh, his, his fight stories to customers. And if you saw the movie, you see that uh, the customers have heard these stories over and over again. And um, he was telling me to uh, lean in and, and be uh, interested in the, in the story and, and listen to it and everything. And uh, the thing that I took away from that was I, I'm a movie buff, and I, I can't remember if he actually wrote the script or if it was a co, you know, he co-wrote it or what. But he was running his lines kind of almost under his breath. And I was close enough to him, even closer than I am to you right now, to hear him. And I noticed that he never said the lines the same way twice. But he had the gist of what he wanted to get across. And that, imp that impressed me because as a writer— you know, I don't like people playing with my words. But uh, when I started JPM Productions and began 
booking a, my own one-man show, I scripted the shows. And I actually wrote them out. After a segment of songs, I would have, you know, good evening. And then I would have things that I actually wrote as though I were writing a play. But when I rehearsed, I thought of him. And I thought to myself, let me just get the gist of what I want to say. If it's something humorous, if I want to start off with uh, a humorous line or whatever, as long as I get the gist of it, it doesn't have to be word for word. And I kind of picked that up from him. And that was I found that interesting. It has to be incredible to be a guy from Philadelphia and an Italian-American to work with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> yeah, I you know it, it's it's not like he he knows my name or we send each other Christmas cards you know but it was a it was a wonderful experience. Do you think people have any misconceptions about Philadelphia, the city? Yeah, or, I don't know so much anymore. Philadelphia has grown a great deal. For many years, it's gone through a restaurant renaissance. You can find some of the finest restaurants in the country in Philadelphia. It's gentrifying neighborhoods that have been bladed for many years. Um, I know there used to be a saying, I went to Philadelphia on a Sunday and it was closed. <laughs> and at one time, there was nothing to do. Everything was closed on Sunday. It's not like that anymore. It's, uh, I will say, I wouldn't even say it's growing. It, can, it continues to grow, but... I think it's uh, as cosmopolitan as, uh, as any city. Working our way back to the music and to your album, Somewhere South of Heaven, there's a song on there that I really like. The, sal the saloon song. Oh. And I don't know if this is true, but I've heard it said a few times that Frank Sinatra's passport, where it said occupation, he had saloon singer. I heard that myself. <laughs> I would have liked to sing in some of the saloons he sang in. You know, <laughs> I don't know if he would like to sing in some of the saloons I sang in. But um, no kidding, there is kind of like a two-part story to that song. Okay, I guess it was around 1982 when Tony Bennett recorded "The Art of Excellence." It was his first album in, I think, about a dozen years. And uh, I thought to myself, he's recording again. Maybe he might be looking for material. Because there were some original things on it, as, as I recall, uh, newer songs. And uh, I sat down to write something. And I decided that I wanted to write something in what was once called a torch song, a, a style, a one for my baby or an angel eyes. And um, I thought, the last that I had seen Frank Sinatra record, he was on Quest Records, Quincy Jones's label. And, it, and he wasn't on the label at, at this particular time. And I thought this would probably be an impossibility to get to him, especially not being on the label. This is before duets. So I thought, let me try to come up with something that might interest Tony Bennett. And um, since he's uh, recording again. And as I began to play and noodle around and think about it, I remembered an incident early 
well, not early in my career, but it, it was probably my first significant um, club job in Philly after I had spent uh, quite a few years in the South Jersey resort areas, working seven nights a week. And um, at that time, I was in my early 20s. When entertainment started, drink prices went up. So during the week, when I would head for the stage, there was a gentleman that was in the in the place every night. And I remember vividly he drank in Manhattan. And he would say in a stage whisper, so I could hear, give me another drink before the music starts. <laughs> and he would get his other Manhattan, finish it, and leave. You know, whether, I don't know, maybe he didn't like me or whether he didn't like music, I don't know. I think he didn't want to spend the extra money. So I said to myself then, someday I'm going to be playing somewhere and somebody's going to say, when does the music start? So when I sat down to write Saloon Song, I had this in mind. So my character in Saloon Song is not ending his night like in One for My Baby or Drinking Again. My guy is starting his night off. You know, he's about halfway where he's going. And uh, he's uh, he's looking for his misery to love some company. <laughs> and the lyrics say, you know, turn down the lights. It's much too bright in here, which a lot of times the lights would dim when the music went on. And uh, it, there's a verse to the song. And the verse ends with, uh, say, when does the music begin? So that was kind of like my retribution for this guy walking out, <laughs> you know, and uh, coming at, at that style of song in a different direction. That's how that all came about. Well, maybe the music will begin again here on the Paul Leslie Hour. John Primerano, would you like to play Saloon Song? I would love to play Saloon Song. Wonderful. Well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen. Turn down the lights. It's much too bright in here Another one of those nights I'll end up a sight in here Can't seem to forget her Remembering how I let her Get under my skin Say when does the music begin? I'd like to hear a saloon song A melody to sing my troubles to Hey buddy, play a saloon song Nothing can quite do me Like a song that gets to me Why don't you play a saloon song A broken-hearted drinker's rhapsody 
something that says it's been too long without her here with me just living with a memory it's such an old story one I'm sure you've heard about the girl that got away but believe me when I tell you I mean every worn out word cause I miss her more and more each day so let me hear that saloon song play me that star-crossed lover scorn No time to hear a moon June spoon song Just make it sad, I do implore And while I'm sitting here sipping on number four Won't you play that saloon song Just once more It's such an old story One I'm sure you have heard About the girl that got away But believe me when I tell you I need every worn hour Cause I miss her more and more each day So let me hear that saloon song Play me that star-crossed lover score No time to hear a moon June spoon song Just make it sad I do implore while I'm sitting here sipping on number four I'll ask a melancholy chore Won't you play that saloon song Just once Very good. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. What would you say is the hardest thing about being a musician? You know, we spoke about Carol, the girl I see and who is involved with uh, JPM Productions. And uh, she had uh, given me your list of potential things that we might discuss. And she said to me, and what is the hardest thing about being a musician? And she said, being a musician. <laughs> um, I would say that, and I speak only for myself on this, being a musician, the hardest thing about that is, one, the dedication you have to have to become proficient on your instrument. You know, it's a lot better to practice 15 minutes every day 
then wait till Friday comes along and then do two hours. Hmm. You're not gonna you're not gonna maintain your skill that way, you know, or learn your instrument. And uh, the second thing, I think, is the the sacrifices that you have to uh, put up with if you're going to be a professional musician. It means your weekends are going to be work nights. You know, a lot of people live for Saturday night. In my case, I live to go to work. <laughs> and it was my, my job to entertain these people. That meant if I was invited to a wedding and somewhat weddings I would have liked to go on to, I couldn't go. It's a stentorian kind of lifestyle. At least it was for me. Because I wanted to elevate myself. There's a kind of single-mindedness there that um, I, don't, I don't mean the kind where somebody gets up in the morning and sits at the piano or picks up the trumpet or something and goes on for seven or eight hours a day because they have nothing else that they look for. They, you know, yes, they love it. And, and I'm also not speaking about people who spend that kind of time on because they want to get that good. I'm talking about somebody who's just lost in it. But you do have to have a, uh, if you want to make a career out of it and you want to make the kind of career out of it that I wanted to make out of it, and work with people that I worked with and got to meet and got to know, I felt that I had to uh, really be uh, self, uh, not self-centered, but centered on the craft. And uh, I don't know how many people feel the same way. I'm sure a lot do. But that is a, uh, that's one of the hardest things that some people don't understand. Mm -hmm. You have to love it more than wanting to go to that wedding or that party or whatever else. That has to come first mm. because that, that has to be going back to satisfaction. That has to be your ultimate satisfaction. And it was mine. I always like to close the show. I give the guests the stage. I let them just go anywhere they want to go. So you have the microphone here. In closing, what would you say to anyone who's tuned in? Well, thank you for tuning in, first of all. Um, if we're talking about career-wise, as, as an entertainer or musician, I think, I think the world has lost show business. I think they've lost entertainers. I mean, so many rock groups go on tour because they have a new CD out and they play the songs from the CD, which you could buy and listen to. Performers are now using pre-recorded material instead of live musicians. And I think the audiences that are out there today don't know what show business really was. And uh, when they do see a show, and I say this from my, my experience and not out of uh, conceit, 
I try to put a little humor in it. I have a rapport with the crowd. And I perform the songs that I, I'm going to do in that particular show. I script the shows. At the end of a show, somebody comes up and says to me, I don't see this type of stuff anymore. I mean, we used to see variety shows on TV, and they people say they had their day. So I think that, um, and especially the world we live in, I, I, look, I mentioned Danny Thomas. He was a great dialectician. Myron Cohen, who I met and got to know, and who encouraged me to uh, get as much exposure. He uh, used to see me come to work when I uh, appeared at the, the Benjamin Franklin Hotel. He was working at a, a very famous club in Philadelphia, Palumbo's. And my picture used to be in, in the windows. And he said to me one night, he was waiting for a driver to pick him up. He said, you're the young man who plays in the Kite and Key Room. And I said, yes, Mr. Cohen. And every night that I got there, he would stop me and tell me a joke. and say, I'm going to tell this one tonight and try it out on me. And I think people's sensitivities with political correctness today, I don't know how Myron Cohen or Denny Thomas would be working. <laughs> and um, to anybody out there who... Uh, is contemplating a career in music. Things have changed greatly since I started. But from my own experience, I would say to you, learn as many songs as you can. Learn them in all styles, international songs, songs that you think no one will ever ask you to play. <laughs> because I can tell you that that has happened to me. And... Uh, the better prepared you are, the better you're going to make a better showing. And I suppose that would uh, be the wrap-up for anybody who is in the business or contemplating getting into business from me. Well, John Primerano, thank you for coming all the way from Philadelphia down here to Atlanta. Thank you for being a guest on the Paul Leslie Hour. Thank you for having me. I tell you... Uh, the weather down here alone was was uh, was worth the trip, you know. <laughs> I left uh, a rainy, chilly Philadelphia and came into a nice, warm Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I came into a very nice, warm atmosphere in this studio, uh, which I have been looking forward to for quite some time. And I want to tell you, it's been a great experience for me. And thank you for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you. Zip, bip, bibbidi bop, boobity zing, dang, bon, chee, cuddly zing, ba bang, dun, coochie, yatsi, kili, matsa, go, oh, you should get gone, go, go, I don't go, easing, go to glen, dang, I'm bon, tight, it'll, 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 I'